find truth in your word. And God, so this morning, I pray that you would give us open and receptive hearts. I pray that you would help us to understand, God, where we need to apply wisdom in our life. I pray that you would give Pastor Charles your words this morning. In your name, amen. Um, thanks, Joe. <clears throat> so after I became a dad, I instantly wanted to call and apologize to my own dad because um, I am what some people would call uh, bullheaded. I am stubborn. I don't like being told what to do. I never have. In fact, if you tell me, man, there's this movie, you have to watch this movie, or there's a song, you have to listen to this song, I promise you, I'm not, because I will do the opposite. I'm difficult that way. I, I always have been. And I remember growing up, as, as many of you probably had parents who were always trying to share insight with you. They were trying to share advice with you on things you were going through in life, on things you were facing, on circumstances that were coming your way. And, and I can remember saying to my parents, just leave me alone. Let me figure this out on my own. I want to do this my way. Stop telling me what to do. I, I, I remember saying those things, and as I did, I bet you can imagine what happened. A lot happened. I learned lessons the hard way. And it's unnecessary. It was completely unnecessary. I was being foolish. And this means that, yes, I did eventually learn the lesson I needed to learn. I did eventually do or not do the thing I was supposed to do or not do. But it came at a price. It wasn't easy. And all of us, all of you have these circumstances. I hear them. You tell them to me. I've heard things like this that you've gone through, like, man, I, I wish I would have known I can't fix this other person. I, I can only be responsible for working on myself. Tough lesson to learn, but it's an important one. Or lessons like this. Man, especially from some of the older people in our congregation, I hear, I, I wish I wish I would have budgeted. I wish I would have learned how to be more financially responsible. So now in this part of my life, I'm not in this circumstance. I hear that all the time. Or how about this one? I, I just I was so afraid when I was younger. I didn't do this or I didn't do that, and now I regret it. You carry around regret for the things you wish you would have done. I hear this lesson. One of my lessons that I've had to learn, and maybe this is you too, depending on where you're at in life, is not everyone's going to like you for doing the right thing. This is a tough lesson to learn, and it's one that keeps uh, hitting me over and over. I, one I would love to add to this list that's kind of my own, that, that I'm still working on learning, is don't wait until you need a day off to take a day off. Because I'm telling you this, if I get to the point in my life where I'm telling you that I need to take a day off, it's probably too late. I'm past the point of no return. At this point in time that I'm saying this, I, I'm, I I've learned my pride often has led me to want to be able to handle everything. I want to be looked at as being strong. I want to be looked at as being capable. I don't want to show weakness, and so I don't need a day off, and then I end up hurting myself, and I hurt other people around me as a result. This is a lesson I wish I would have learned sooner. All of us, all of us seem to choose to learn lessons the hard way, and we act like this is the only path in life, is to take the hard path, but, what, but it's not. 
there's another path we can take. It's not an easier path, but it is the best path, and it is the path of wisdom. And I bet you, you know people in your life, you can picture in your head right now who are wise. If I said, who in your life do you know who's wise? I bet, I bet a name or an image comes to your head. I know people in my life that I, I think, man, when I am in the midst of something, that's who I'm calling because they're so wise. We have those people, and I'm not talking about smart people. There's lots of smart people, but smart people doesn't necessarily make wise people. I'm talking about pure wisdom, so which makes me go, well, what's the difference? What, is, what does it mean to be wise then if it's not just being smart? Well, I, some of these authors, some of our favorite authors have attempted to define wisdom, and they've said stuff like this. Eugene Peterson said, wisdom's the art of living skillfully. Skillfully is a key word here. It's an important word. Living skillfully in whatever actual condition we find ourselves. Uh, I'm, John Piper says wisdom is knowing what the greatest goals are in any setting and taking the most effective means to accomplish them. These are great definitions. One of my favorites comes from Max Licato. He has a simple definition. He says, wisdom's the ability to see things from God's perspective, which makes me go, okay, clearly this is important. We need to discover what is wisdom and why it's important to us. And so, over these next few months together, leading us into Advent time, we're going to be looking together in this new series on wisdom. Stop learning lessons the hard way. There is a better way. And so the purpose of today, really the objective I want to do with us today is just kind of an overview. I want to give us just some kind of a, a, a flair of where we're going and what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. Hopefully, as, as I go through some of these things, you'll grab onto something and you'll go, hey, that, I, yes, I need to know more about that. And then you'll know, come back, because we're going to be covering this stuff. So I want to just give you a little taste. In order to give you a little taste, I want to um, just kind of give you a brief background of where we're coming from and why we are navigating things the way we're navigating things. So let, let me just get a, a little nerdy with you for a second and explain a few things. Our Bibles, our Bibles are broken up into two main categories, right? We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. The Old Testament or the Old Covenant are the books that are, typic, that are found in the front of our Bibles. There's 39 Old Testament books, okay? Now, these books, these 39 books, can be broken up into three general categories. The first category that we can break these books into are the historical books. The historical books are books like Genesis and Exodus and First and Second Kings and, and Esther. These are books that contain the stories that we all know and love. These are the stories we grew up listening to and our parents told us and our Sunday school teachers told us and they're great stories that we love. These historical books also contain the history of the nation of Israel. Israel, and not just the history of Israel, but their relationship to God and how God and Israel function together. This is, those are the historical books. 
The second kind of category of books we find in the Old Testament are prophetic books. These are books where there's some big prophecy books like, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but there's also some smaller prophetic books like Obadiah and Jonah. And, 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 and these are books where God spoke to his people directly through another person. Okay, these aren't fortune-telling books. These are books where God chose specific people to convey a message to the Israelites. They conveyed messages of warnings or instructions or what to look for, things to come. So God used these men and women to communicate with his people. Those are prophetic books. The last category of books we find in the Old Testament are called poetic books, or sometimes people refer to them as wisdom books. These are the books we want to hang out in, and there's five of them. Apparently, God thought wisdom was important enough for us to learn that he included five wisdom books in the Old Testament for us. So these is where we want to hang out over the next few weeks, these five books. The first two um, are, are, is this. We have the Psalms. Psalms are 150 songs and prayers for you and I. There are 150 songs and prayers that deal with every single emotion that we could possibly have. They're in the Psalms written for us. But then we see this book, the Song of Songs, or some people have referred to this as the Song of Solomon. This is the ooh-la-la book of the Bible. This is the book uh, that tells the story of two lovers enjoying romance in their marriage. They, they, it's explicit. Um, it, it, is, it is good. It is, this is the, the love book. And someday we're going to come back to these two books. But for this particular series, we really want to hang on three wisdom books. These books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And, and we're going to get into these each deeper over the next week. So today, again, my, my purpose today is I just kind of want to Wet your appetite a little bit as to what's to come in each of these books today. So let, let me just highlight these individually. I'm going to start with Job, and I'm going to work my way backwards today. So Job, Job is a book that talks about how to suffer well, which means it's for every single person in this room because, look, we all have something in common, don't we? We've all suffered. We all hurt. We all have gone through stuff. And so this book is for everyone. And when we go through stuff, isn't it true that sometimes we can draw a direct line between a choice we've made and our suffering? Sometimes we can draw a direct line between the choice someone else made and our suffering. However, when it gets difficult is when there is no line between anything that we've done or someone else has done and our suffering. This is when it gets hard, when the suffering can't be understood, when we don't know when the suffering is going to end. There's no reason for it. And this is the story of Job, and we know this because Job was an amazing man. He was, ama- he was incredible. 
In fact, this is how the very first verse in Job begins. It says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he stayed away from evil. This guy is the epitome of what it means to live rightly. This guy loved God. He cared for people. He always did the right thing. This Job's a special man, but we read pretty quickly in Job that God allowed Satan to take everything from him. Now we read this, we understand this. Job, he doesn't know this. He's no he doesn't understand what's happening. He, he, there's no direct correlation between a choice he or anyone else has made and his suffering. It's not understood. And it, and it makes sense because he didn't do anything wrong. He's a good guy, and yet he's going through this suffering. And so Job's friends, he had some good friends. They loved him. They cared about him. And even though they loved and cared about him, they were horrible advice givers. They were horrible counselors. They they were telling him things that just simply weren't true because they said, well, apparently, Job, you did something to offend God, or you must have sinned or done something to cause this to happen because God would never let something hard happen to someone who was so good, right? And and although Job's friends, they're nice guys, they, they were horrible at advice. They didn't know what they were talking about. And for 35 chapters, Job and his friends, they go back and forth wrestling. For 35 chapters, get this, God was silent. God was silent. And as you can imagine, that left Job feeling like, what in the world am I to think of God through this? I don't understand what's happening, and I know that you feel the same way when you're going through things and you're just not hearing from God, and you're thinking, what is happening here, God? Where are you in this moment? And you wonder, and it's in these moments that we're tempted to walk away. We're tempted to give up on God, and Job was tempted to give up on God. And so after 35 chapters of silence, God showed up. And he showed up in a storm, and he took Job to school. And, and, and Job, he learned something. In fact, this is how the book of Job ends. It says this, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? He says, it is I. I was talking about things I knew nothing about things far too wonderful for me. So Job, in this moment, you can see how incredible he is in in humility here. He he essentially says, look, I was not thinking about God correctly. And in that moment, Job reaches the point of wisdom. And this wisdom is marked by an understanding that God sees things that we don't see God understands things that we just don't understand. And, and, and God longs for you and I to trust him in those moments that we're tempted to walk away. Job's a powerful book uh, on finding wisdom through pain and suffering. And so if you're going through pain and suffering, maybe Job's for you. 
We're going to cover this book last in the series towards the end. Right before Job, though, we're going to hit the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book that simply means this, how to live a fulfilling life in a meaningless world. I know Ecclesiastes, that's kind of a strange name for a book. It's a word, it's a Hebrew word that simply means teacher. Teacher, that's how the author of Ecclesiastes refers to himself as a teacher. And the best way I can summarize Ecclesiastes to you is this. Think about Easter. And on Easter, you someone gives you one of those chocolate bunnies, right? And, and oh man, to, to sink your teeth into that milk chocolate, you're looking forward to it. You get it home, you open the box, you unwrap it, and you bite into the head of that bunny, only to find out it's hollow hollow. Who does this kind of thing? These are true crimes right here. And, 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 we, and that is the story of Ecclesiastes, that life is hollow. Without God, it is hollow. And, and in fact, the, this book begins this way. It says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. He goes on. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless, to which I'm like, okay, I hope it gets better from here, because that seems pretty heavy. And this phrase, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless, it's a, it's a, it's a word that we find over and over throughout Ecclesiastes, that it's meaningless. But in this book, here's the thing to remember as we study this. This is important. The thing to remember, Solomon writing this is writing it from the perspective of an old man. Solomon is aged into his life at this point. And as he's writing this book, he's reflecting on life as an old man would reflect on life. He's, really, he's looking back on all the years that have passed. He's looking back on, on how quickly time has flown by and the years they flew by. He's looking back on all the things that he once thought were valuable, that he once saw as important, that he once gave all his time and attention and money to. He's looking back at those things and he's going, it was meaningless. It was worthless. Solomon is even refers to life as a vapor, as a, as a wind, as a breath. He says, everything is so temporary, it's so quick. And I think we can all relate to that too, can't we? It happens so fast. And we look back and I think, I can't believe I gave so much of myself to this thing. It didn't really matter. This is the perspective of Solomon. And as he's writing this, and although he states that everything is meaningless, he's not implying that life is meaningless. In fact, it's just the opposite. But this is how he ends the book. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or or bad. So what Solomon's saying here is, look, this, don't live a hollow life. It's not worth it. He says real wisdom here is marked by a life with God at the center. That is when it gets fulfilling. That is when it gets worth it. And I'm telling you, Ecclesiastes is for you and me. 
If you're, if, you're, if you're struggling with pain and suffering, you're going to love Job. If you're struggling with just understanding what is the, my meaning and purpose in life, Ecclesiastes is going to be the book for you. And then we're going to um, begin. Actually, next week, Pastor Joe's going to be here to start the book of Proverbs together. This is a book on how not to live foolishly. This is a book for all of us. It's, it's, a, it's a worth the time. And I just want to kind of highlight the first couple of verses here of Proverbs that we're going to be looking at. It begins like this. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. And he goes on. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights to the wise. So, these first two verses, they give us the who and the why. The who, well, Solomon wrote it for who? For you and I. This is for us. Why do you write it? Well, all 31 chapters of Proverbs is meant to give us wisdom. And generally speaking, this Hebrew word for wisdom, it's linked to the word skill. This is why that, I told you that word was important, to be skillful. That is wisdom. And in and, and these verses, right out of the gate, he says they're linked to discipline. Discipline means being skillful at living a moral life, doing the right thing. If that's the case, we can kind of deduce that he's defining wisdom as being morally skillful. And then verse 2 has more to say. He says it's to help us to understand the insights to the wise. So if wisdom is being morally skillful, it's also about understanding the insights of the wise. So we could say that wisdom means being morally skillful and mentally discerning. This is a great definition, and who in here doesn't need this? Who doesn't need help deciphering the difference between what is good, what is better, and what is best? We do this all the time. I mean, Trisha and I just bought a piece of carpet not too many weeks ago. We walked to the store, and there's a sign above the carpet that says, this is the good stuff, this is better, this is best. I don't understand. I asked the person who was wise in this area to help me explain why this is good, better, and best. He did. That is easy when it's carpet, but what about when it's life? What about when we're going through life and we're trying to figure out in life what is good for, what is best, and, or better, and what is best? That is not so easy to figure out. So Solomon, he, he kind of deduces things down and he says, okay, okay, this is what it means to live morally skillful and mentally discerning lives. He says this in verse 3, their purpose, the, these Proverbs' purpose, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. So what does it mean to be morally skillful? It means to do what is right in these situations we come across, to always be just in making our decisions, and to always treat everyone involved fairly. That's what, meant, uh, that's what he means when he says morally skillful. But then he goes on in verse 4. He says, these Proverbs will give insight... To the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. This is exactly what it sounds like. I believe Solomon here is writing to young people. He's writing to those people who, who maybe are more gullible in their thinking. People who are really kind of undecided in which direction they want to go in life. These are people who are still living on the fence. He's writing to them. And this is why I am so grateful to be at a church that is multi-generational. And I'll admit this, please don't hold this against me. But when I was young, 
When I was a young man, I used to think that old people didn't know anything. Well, now I'm an old people. And, I, and my mind's changed a little bit. So young people in the room, I, I have to tell you, I have to tell you that, that, that circumstances of life, that experiences in life, have given an older generation insight and knowledge that we don't possess. You should lean into them, listen to them, and learn from them. They're, they're so important in our lives. Now, if you're sitting here and you're an older person and you're going, yeah, that's right, whoa, 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 slow up, because Solomon goes on to talk about you. He speaks to those people who think they are already wise. He says in verse 5, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. So what he's saying is you might be gifted, you might be smart, you might be talented, you might be all of those things, but he says there's always room for more wisdom. It's dangerous to think that these are for everyone else but you. In fact, I, I remember growing up, my dad, who I consider to be wise, my dad used to say, man, the more I learn, the more I realize I need to learn. There's always room to learn more. And that is, that is the Proverbs. So he returns to the idea of mental discernment and he says this in verse 6, by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and the riddles. This word exploring is important here. Exploring. I heard another pastor, he kind of talked about this word exploring like popping a hard candy in your mouth. I, I'm telling you what, I can't do that. I, I, when I put a piece of candy in my mouth, I chew it instantly. I can't suck on anything, cough drops, chewed and gone in a heartbeat. I can't, I just, there's something in me that chews on stuff. And what he's saying here is this word exploring is like putting a piece of hard candy in your mouth. It's not meant to be chomped and chewed and swallowed. It's meant to be sucked on. It's meant to be savored. It's meant to roll around in your mouth for a while. These Proverbs aren't meant to be chewed up and sent on their way. They're meant to be savored. We're meant to have time spent with them, thought on them, care taken with them. He says, well, don't read these too fast. Slow up and spend some time with them. And then he wraps up this prologue of Proverbs with this last verse, and this is the capstone verse. This is the most important verse. He says this in 7, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So he says the beginning of our journey toward wisdom is fear of the Lord. And this phrase is important. It shows up at the start of Proverbs, at the end of Proverbs, and all throughout Proverbs. And this doesn't mean that we are to be afraid of God. This doesn't mean we are to be scared of God. In fact, the, these words, fear of the Lord, what they really mean is that we are to be humble, faithfully surrendering to the Lord. That means that we take God seriously and we take his word seriously. And Solomon says, if you have that, if you begin your journey with that, you will gain wisdom. That's the beginning. You will become more morally skillful and mentally discerning. Proverbs is clear over and over. It says, it says the fool, the fool is the person who does not fear the Lord. And so if given a choice between wisdom 
and foolishness. I, I hope we choose wisdom. Why would we choose to continue learning lessons the hard way when there's another option? It, it doesn't make sense. Wisdom is the other option. And so in the weeks to come here, as we go through these Proverbs, we're going to hit on really seven topics, seven, what some people call seven deadly sins. These are the sins of pride, anger, envy, gluttony, slothfulness, greed, and lust. And to be clear, all sin is deadly, but these seven seem to be especially dishonoring to God. They seem to especially hurt us and hurt other people. So we want to focus on these. And to which I, I have to admit, I, I thought to myself, man, this seems... This seems a little heavy. This is hard stuff. Like we just came out of the book of John where we studied the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the amazing things Jesus did. I left the book of John feeling so good and now we're hitting this stuff? I kind of thought, that is, that's strange. But here's the deal. We are not leaving Jesus behind. Not even close. Because the study of wisdom is going to point us to Jesus. Because Jesus is regarded himself as wisdom. In fact, we know this because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is wisdom. And then he writes in Colossians, he says, In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom in knowledge. This is Jesus. Jesus is still here. And as we navigate these books of wisdom and we draw closer to wisdom, ultimately we're drawing closer to Jesus because that is who he is. We're not leaving him behind. He is with us and we will continue to move towards him. And so today, you, I, I wish I would have spent more time with these books when I was young. Because maybe I wouldn't have had to have to learn these lessons the hard way. But here's our opportunity. Whether you're here and you're struggling with your marriage or relationships, or maybe you're struggling with finances, or maybe you're struggling with being lazy. Maybe you're struggling with some hurt and pain that you've felt. Maybe you're struggling with fear. Whatever it is you are struggling through, whatever it is, we all have a choice. You can either navigate those things with wisdom or the opposite, foolishness. I've navigated so many times out of foolishness and learned the hard way. It's time we change gears. Let's start heading towards wisdom. Let's start heading towards Jesus. And after each message in this series, we're going to um, close with prayer. And sometimes those prayers will be for you, over you. Sometimes those prayers will be with you. So today, we want to end with prayer. And we want to, I, I want to teach you this prayer. A prayer that you can say during your days. This is called a breath prayer. It's a prayer that you can say in one breath. So as you're navigating your days, may this prayer come to your mind. So let's close our eyes and let me pray now. Lord, help me to see you. Help me to see you in this circumstance. 
Help me to see you in this relationship. Help me to see you in what my response should be. Help me to see you in how I navigate these things. Help me to see you when I'm making this decision. Help me to see you, Lord, when I'm feeling hurt and attacked. Help me to see you today, Lord Jesus. Help me to see you. Help me to hear you. Guide me, direct me, Lord. Lord, in you I search for wisdom. Help me to see you today. Why don't we stand and let's close the chorus that Sonia will sing us. May this be our prayer today. Be-